Turn in your scriptures to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. That's going to be our primary focus this morning of scripture. And as you do so, I want to encourage you that we're starting a new series. It's a summer series, and it's on the church. If you are part of the church, raise your hand. Excellent. We're glad you're here. It's always good to know who you are and where you're from and where you're going, right? And so this morning, as we move forward and we start, this is really kind of an intro to the whole summer series. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be the church? One of the reasons we're going to do this is because, have you ever played that game Telephone? Where, you know, you, you, you say something on the initial, and then by the time it gets to the end person, you know, you went from, you know, a, uh, a strawberry Sunday to World War II somehow. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, eventually. I think what's happening in our society is that we're letting the church be redefined. Do you know what I mean? We're letting the church be redefined by, number one, people who aren't even part of the church. Number two, people who are trying to reconstruct the church into something it was never meant to be. And so what I really want us to do is kind of hit the reset button. I feel like I'm redecorating my house up here. Is hit the reset button. And as we do so this morning, consider carefully, what's your view of the church? And how did you arrive at that view? This is really compelling because you may be visiting us today and you're looking for a church. If you are, just slip me a note of what you're looking for in a church. I'll work it in the sermon. No, we're not going to do that. That's part of the problem that we face uh, now, currently. So this morning, I want to I give you kind of a, something to wrap your mind around when it, when it comes to this issue of the church and why I feel like it's important for us to go down this path. And then we'll look at the Scripture. Again, Ephesians 2, 17 through 22 is our primary passage. Let me pray first, and then we will jump in. Lord, it is to Your glory. It is to Your desire. It is Your plan that has established the church and made it what it is. Thank You, Father. Be in our time. Let Your Spirit work. Let the words from Scripture work succinctly and and clearly so that we get a good grasp of how to understand and and hold to what You desire the church to be. Let us be different as a church when we get to the end of this journey than how we have started. Let us conform our likeness to You. Thank You, Father, to Your glory. Amen. Well, how many of you know what a selfie is? Yeah. All right. So, oh yeah. I've, I, some, some of you threw up some hands and you didn't have to throw up your hand. I know you know what a selfie is. So, when you do a selfie, it's fantastic how good you look. Have you ever noticed that? When you see people's selfies? Now, one of these pictures, you know... I would put up as my selfie predicated off of what people normally do. One of these pictures, I would not. Isn't it amazing that the selfie is all about how good you can make yourself look, right? 
It's like half of those selfies, they got their arm extended. Now, some of you don't. What is a selfie? It's where you take your cell phone and you go out here and you take a picture of yourself. And I am not going to horrify you by modeling all the different poses that people do for that. But I know one is the fish selfie. Some of you have told me about this. Where, you know, you suck in, you suck in your cheeks like this and you purse your lips so you look a lot thinner. Trust me, it's never going to work for most of us. It just isn't. Now, so you know which one I would not put up and which one I probably would, right? Because you want to present your best self. And it's amazing how you can make yourself look much better than you actually do most of the time. And that's what you really want to project. Isn't it interesting that the church can be there that way a lot of the time? Is we really want to project some beautiful picture of what A lot of people would put on our comment line. By the way, you know why most people do selfies, right? Now I'm going to get myself in trouble. Most people, because some of you are getting really nervous in the room, because you know what I'm going to say. Oh, there have been studies. This is is not just my opinion. I'm just quoting studies. That it is an exercise in narcissism. And really what you're doing is you want to see how many comments you can get from your friends and other people about, oh, you look hot, girl, right? And that doesn't even make sense because I'm a guy, right? So you're looking for these comments, and so you get them for like a week, and then what comes a week later? Another selfie, because you got to get more accolades, Folks, that's another comment on the church. How often do we try to dress ourselves up and then we got to throw out something new again and new again so we get more people to say, wow, you're hot, girl. We're going to be launching later today the first ever vision for our church since I've been here. And so this is a very self-effacing series. It's specifically coordinated with this launch. It's a 14-week launch. Come after service and you'll hear all about it. Here's another uh, experiment. You know, you can be the goose wrangler or goose whisperer, or you can be uh, Mr. Suave. I don't don't know what that's all about. But that is about the best picture I can give you of the selfie. That says it all. That really, truly says it all right there. You see the pursed lips, right? That's just disgusting. And of course, she chose an Apple product. All right, let's move on. The question today is, what is the church? Or more appropriately, who is the church? We're really trying to set up the whole series. And where we're going to be most of the summer is in the seven churches, seven letters to the seven churches in Asia out of Revelation 2 and 3. So get ready. It's going to be a fun experiment, and it's going to be a great understanding of what Christ expects of his church. Not what I expect, not what the general community expects, but what Christ expects. Here's the scripture this morning, Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now this isn't a typical passage when a pastor wants to speak about the church. Did you hear the word church in there anywhere? But the Lord really showed this passage to me as I was setting this up a couple weeks ago. And it is a consummate, it's not the complete, it's not comprehensive, but it is a consummate picture of how the church is supposed to operate, and even more so, how the church isn't supposed to operate. So this morning, we're going to break this down, and we're going to do it in two ways. Number one, we're going to talk about who isn't the church. Then we'll follow up with the same list by, by an experience of what the Scripture is saying here, what is the church. And in essence, Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus who's going through a little bit of a struggle of conflict. And he's saying that's not what the church is. The church is rooted in Christ. The church is rooted in love. The church is rooted in ministry. And, and stop going back to the history of what you used to hold on to. You think that affects our churches at all? Let me read to you real quickly something that is... Uh, just came over the wire today, uh, and I picked up on it. Again, why would we be studying this? Because it's important. It's, uh, there are churches that are dying, my friends. Have you ever been part of a church that's dying? It's sad. It's, it's, there's a lot of reasons why that happens. And that is not a demon. It's just a cell phone. So don't worry. Everybody relax. I don't know. Maybe it is a demon. I don't know. But there's an article today on the Christian Post. I don't know. Maybe I should listen to that. Maybe I am too serious. I don't know. The most common factors of a dying church. Listen to this. And those that are part of this church, you tell me if this sounds like us. See if you recognize a few of these. If we took a selfie of our church, would it look like this? Would any of this be in the comment line? There are very few attempts to minister to those in the community. Church business meetings become arguments over preferences and desires. Numbers of members in the congregation are openly critical of the pastor, other church staff, and lay leaders in the church. Any change necessary to become a great commissioned church is met with anger and resistance. The past becomes the hero. Culture is seen as the enemy instead of an opportunity for believers to become salt and light. Pastors and other leaders in the church become discouraged and withdraw from effective leadership. If the churches are part of a denomination of, or similar affiliation, meetings of those denominations mirror the churches in lost focus and decisiveness. What would people say in the comment line of our church selfie? Any of those comments. Well, that's why it's good sometimes. You know, if you look at your selfie and you're saying, oh man, I need a haircut. Oh, I need to trim, trim here, trim there, trim everywhere. <laughs> it's good for us to take a look at the status of the church and be honest and get back to what God desired. That's why we're starting in Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. So, Without hesitation, let's go into this. Who isn't the church? Number one, by the way, this isn't comprehensive as well. This is just a parallelism to what we're going to see as to who is the church. 
based off of the other scripture. Now I'm giving you cross-references, and I'm going to break those down. Write them down if you want. We won't have time to go to each of them. I'll just explain what's behind it. Those who fail to understand the peace of God. Now, you can have peace and not know God, but you cannot know the peace of God without God. You got that? And so without Christ, without being part of the church... They can never know the peace of God. And the first scripture that we see in Ephesians 2, 17, verse 17, speaks to that. We'll get around to it. But Romans 3, 17 through 18 talks about this specifically. And I'll read this one because not many of us are familiar with this passage. But it is a quote out of the Old Testament. It's a prophetic quote. And Paul uses it to again address the issue that's happening within the church of conflict. And he's basically saying there isn't anybody that's righteous. We have churches today that say everybody is righteous. You don't have to do anything. It's called universalism. And that's directly contrary to what Scripture teaches. John 3, let's look at it starting in verse 11. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Feel good about yourself yet? (laughs) Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. By the way, does this ever happen in a church? Mm-mm-mm. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And here comes the peace part. Verse 17, And the way of peace... They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. One of the defining marks of those who really aren't part of the church. Secondly, those who are outside the gate of the sheep pen. John 10.9, actually John 10, Christ uses the imagery of a shepherd and sheep and the safety of the pen. And he specifically says in 9, before he goes to the issue of the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He talks about there are those that are outside of the sheepfold. And that is not for the shepherd to take care of them. They are not part of the flock. So they're outside the gate and the protection of the sheepfold. Secondly, or third, those who are foreign to the things of Christ... 1 Corinthians 2.14 This is a passage of Scripture that parallels or, or describes the person who is a natural man and he doesn't understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him, Paul says. But the things of God can only be ascertained by those who have the Spirit of God. How many of us are new to the faith in the room that what seemed as foolishness at one minute, we gave our life over and now it seems like total clarity. You've experienced that. There are those, and that makes you part of the church, by the way. That now makes you the church. There are those who have not yet understood. Therefore, they are not part of the church. Those who want benefits without what? Without commitment. This is one of the famous passages where the Pharisees said before Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles and wonders? And he says, there will be many on that day that call out my name and I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. There are those who want to say they're part of the church, but they are distorting who the church is because they really aren't part of the church. By the way, this is 
the big marketing billboard advertisement for church membership. Because we will never close those doors to anybody to walk in here. But let me just be crystal clear. Because you're sitting here today doesn't mean you are the church. It means you came to Concord Bible Church. But we want everyone to walk through those doors and hear the hope of the message of the gospel. Amen? It's life-changing. It's transforming. And many of you have experienced that. But I'll guarantee you, we open those doors and people are going to come in with different attitudes, different philosophies, different things they're going to write into the comment line. Now, they're just as much as an individual as you are. So do they get to shape and form who we are and what we decide to be and what we will follow and what we believe? How can you do that? You can't. And yet, sadly, some churches are. Because they, like you heard from the article, desperately desire to just fill seats so they can be a bigger church and a bigger church and a bigger church. But there's nothing in those churches. And eventually they die off. They die off. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, they're not part of the church. Those who disregard the history of those who have set the foundation of faith. Let's look at this one. 2 Corinthians 11. I don't know when the last time was y'all were in 2 Corinthians 11. There's probably a lot of gold leaf still on your Bible in that section of the Bible. 12.15 And there's other passages that fit this, but this is pretty telling. Paul is giving a defense for their apostleship. He's trying to give instruction to a church that's teetering on destruction. And so what does he say? Let's look at verses 12-15. through 15. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness." Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul is saying that there are those who are walking around trying to say they're apostles, they're prophets. We're going to ignore what the real prophets, what the real apostles were doing. That's like me throwing on a uniform and running out onto the field Friday night at uh, the A's Angels game and saying, give me a bat, coach. I can put on a uniform. That doesn't mean I can hit. We'll find out later tonight if I can even hit a five mile an hour softball. But that's exactly what's happening here. And Paul calls it out and he says, they are not part of the church. It's dangerous. And some of you are starting to listen to this. Don't. Because it will really mess up the church. According to what Christ desires. Those who disregard Jesus as Lord, Jude 4, not chapter 4, verse 4. One of the few books, I think it's the only book in the Bible where there's no multiple chapters. And Jude 4 basically talks about the fact that there are those who disregard Christ as Lord. And therefore they have no participation with God. That you cannot claim to be the bride of Christ, the church, 
and yet not recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. It's impossible. So those individuals don't fit into the church as well. Now, let, let me stop again. You heard me say that anybody's welcome through these doors, right? You heard that. So what we're doing here is a practice and an exercise in understanding what is the church, which begs the question this morning, who is actually the church? Those who per- put personal preference over unity. And let's, let's look at that. Turn to James 3. Because I think, again, this might be a, a section that maybe we're not super familiar with. James three sixteen through 18 says this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You'll see that the very first point that Paul brings up in verse 17 is all about peace and the peace of God. We talked a little bit about it in our first point here is who isn't the church? And so the church, by its very nature, in being united in Christ, should move together, should have unity, should have love for one another. But if we act in selfish ambition because of what I want, what I would prefer, then you're going to sow seeds of discord. What would the world, looking at our church, we take a selfie of our church, what would they put in the comment line? Those who are satisfied with the status quo, those who aren't interested in growing, those who are very content with exactly where they are, that is not the life of the church. You cannot know Christ, have the Holy Spirit in you, and be content to remain the same. Amen? And this is the passage about the talents and, and Jesus says, metaphorically here, there's three guys He gives some stuff to, and He holds them responsible. He comes back to hold their accounts, and He says, what would you do to the first guy? And He says, well, I invested here, and I got X amount back. And He says, great job, you've been faithful with a little, now I'm going to give you a lot. That's a reunion endorsement, by the way. Well done. Second guy, same thing, even more. Then the third guy... Didn't really know his master. You get it? Didn't really know his master. And so what did he do with what he was given? He put it in the ground. Let's just keep it there. Let's keep it the same. Let's not try to do anything with it. And he was held accountable for that. And not in a really warm, fuzzy way. Actually, it was very warm. It was extremely warm. Those who keep Christ at a distance, Revelation 2.4, and that's where we'll start in next week with the church of Ephesus. Many of you who are Bible scholars or pseudo-Bible scholars or you just like the Bible, you know this, but this I hold against you. You have lost your first love. And what's he commend them on? He says, hey, you've done a great job of studying the Word. You get it. You have a love for the Word, but what did you lose? You know, we can be a church that knows a lot about Scripture. But there's a huge part of who Christ is that's missing when we don't have the love for Christ. We have the love for knowledge. And by the way, that was a very popular cult back in Jesus' time. It was called Gnosticism. They loved knowledge and they loved to prove that they knew knowledge. They knew a whole lot about a lot. They would have 
totally dug the internet. Wikipedia would have been their, their, their website of choice. Those who keep Christ at a distance, that's impossible to be part of the church. Those who reflect on the world or reflect the world and not Christ. Romans 12, 1-2 says that we need to be transformed. This is our spiritual act of worship. And it literally says, no longer conform to the pattern of this world. Take the selfie. Do you look a lot like what Christ would term as the church, or do you look like the world? Well, let's get into who is the church. And this is going to be verse by verse in 17. We start out with this. Those who need peace. Those who need peace, verse 17, let's read it. I'll probably get there a lot faster just flipping my Bible open. Let's do that. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, what is he saying? Well, it's a struggle between Jews and Gentiles that's going on in this church. And so the Gentiles were the ones far off. The Jews were the ones that were close and close metaphorically to the heart of Christ and the heart of God. And that's where the struggle was, is that, you know, he's our God. Ours, 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 ours. And Paul's saying, no, this message of peace, yes, it came to you, but it also came to the Gentiles. So, what does that mean? Just like our survey said that we read earlier, that a church that's inclusive isn't a good church. People who are inclusive when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the things of God, have missed Christ's purpose. That this is about taking that message of the gospel and preaching that message of peace to everyone. And getting that out there. So lives can be changed. Those who are brought near. What is the church? Or who, who is the church? Those who God has reached out to and brought near to His heart. If that is you today, you celebrate that. Celebrate that. Because there are those that are not there yet. You have a distinct beautiful relationship with Christ that is now growing. That does not come because you can acquire it. It came because you were pulled in near to God. The God, listen carefully, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who is the Father of Jesus Christ. The God who is the Creator of the universe. Created you. Knit you together carefully in your mother's womb. Created things for you to do before the creation of the world. He knows you. And at just the right time, He reached out to you and brought, brought you near to Him. That's pretty cool. That's relationship. Not mechanism, but relationship. Next, those who once were aliens to God and the covenants are part of the church. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's look at it. 18 and 19 again. For through Him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. At one time, each of us were alien to God. 
and to the citizenship of heaven. If you're part of the church, if you are the church, it means that you were drawn near by God, you were given faith, you responded in faith, and now you are a citizen of heaven, which can never be revoked. You are a citizen of heaven. You are no longer, you ever been in a foreign country? And you just weren't really, you didn't even want to talk to somebody because you knew you couldn't. You felt isolated. You felt, how would you like to feel that way about your relationship with God? Does that start to impress upon our hearts and our minds about what it means to be a citizen of the household of God? There are those who once were aliens to God and the covenants. Now they get to experience the fullness of what God promises. Also, those who what? See themselves as fellow citizens and members of a new family, the household of God. This is the household of God. Does that word hold an endearing understanding for you? Some of us, maybe not. We didn't grow up in great households. How do you know that you didn't grow up in a great household? Because you have an ideal of what it should be, right? You have an ideal of what a great household should look like. This is that great household. That great household of God. And as those who are part of the church, you are in that family. This is what Paul is saying. Those who follow the example of the apostles and prophets. Verse 20, he says this. What does that mean? It means that the apostles were given instruction by Jesus Himself. The prophets were given instruction by Jesus Himself. And for those who want to come along and try to change that and name authority, that's not part of the church. That the church holds to the authority of those original apostles and prophets because they were there. They were given the message by Christ Himself. And so we hold to that. We don't negate it and say, hey, this is, this is first century stuff. It only applies to first century you know, you've got you to progressively open the Bible up and apply it to today. You do have to apply it to today. But those principles remain the same because they're the ones that Christ gave to those apostles and those prophets. Those who have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone are the church. The cornerstone is that part of the building, the foundation that is the most important part. Everything is built around that. All your angles all your lines, everything is set off of that point. Is that where you're at? If you are, you're the church. You're the church. Those who will sacrifice self for unity. Do you see that in verse 21? Let's look at that real briefly. Verse 21 says this, in who the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom the whole structure being what? Joined together. Pulling together individuals to make something greater, larger than themselves. They have to concede. They have to get rid of their, or sacrifice their selfish desires so that the common good comes together building that holy temple of God. Those who desire to become something more. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into 
a holy temple in the Lord. The emphasis on the word growing. Are we growing? That if you're part of the church, it fits with our theme that we're looking out of John 15 this year. That abiding in Him does what? Abiding in Him produces fruit. And if we produce fruit by Him, we therefore prove that we are His what? His disciples. So if we struggle with this thing about growing and we're content with that, my friends, get concerned about that. Start wondering, what would Jesus put in my comment line? Sounds like a bumper sticker. Those who abide in Christ, in Christ in them, verse 22 says this, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. That's what it means to be the church. That when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit is placed in our life and that Holy Spirit continually points to Jesus Christ. We continually learn about who Christ is, His character, and His promises to us through Scripture. Christ is our life. And that's where we get our our purpose. That's where we get our hope. That's where we get our energy. That's where we get our joy. Amen? Oh, amen. Oh, joy. Yay. Hope. Ooh. Come on. Thank you. Those who are being reconstructed by the Spirit so that God might dwell in us. There's a lot of selfies where y'all practice reconstruction. I've seen it. It's called Photoshop. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is trying to Photoshop your spirit. Right? No, He's not. You're like, come on, that was horrible. Of course He's not. Photoshop doesn't remove the parts that are bad. It just covers them up. They're still there. The Holy Spirit takes those things in our spirit that need to be removed and cleansed. And what's He do? They're gone. They're gone. And then He protects us if we seek Him, if we abide in Him. He protects us and grows us so that we no longer desire those things that add to the crud of our life, separating us from Christ. He's reconstructing us. Not by some fallacy or little blush embellishment on a photo. How many of us are a little too scared to show what we really look like in a selfie? What about the church? What about the church? This morning, the greatest application you can do with this message is to simply ask yourself, take that snapshot and say, am I part of the church? Look at these Scriptures. Hold on to this Ephesians 2 passage and grow in it. And understand, this is what Christ's expectation is for His church. He died for you. He loves you. He gave everything for you. And Ephesians 5 says that He sees you as His bride. That He is progressively working to care for you, protect you, present you pure on that day. That is fantastic. So as we move forward, the first thing, as far as application, is for each of us to ask, are we part of the church? As my wife would put it, church with a big C. And then this morning we get to welcome some new members that are going to be part of this church with a little C. 
And there's importance behind that. And part of that greatest importance as far as church membership, by the way, that's another way that churches, I personally believe, have acquiesced and lost track. You'll never find a thing about church. You won't see the word church membership in the scriptures. If you go through our class, you'll find out why that matters, why that doesn't matter. But the issue is that he talks about unity. We heard it today, right? He talks about oneness. We heard it today. He talks about those that want to get in and truly are not part of the church and they want to affect the church. Folks, this is why we practice church membership, because we care. We want to be the church Christ wants us to be. And so we want to go through a process to see who really is saying that they have faith in Jesus Christ. Who is really saying they're ready to give of themselves, make Christ the priority. Who is really saying that they desire to grow and serve and be the reflection of Christ. That's the church. Everyone's welcome to come through those doors. But this morning you'll see several people stand before you that are going to say, we desire to serve here. We desire to be the church because we are the church. We know who we are. And so we're going to participate that way here at Concord Bible. Let me go ahead and close in prayer this morning, and then I have a couple of specific things I want to do, and then we're going to welcome our new members, which is very exciting. You guys are definitely going to welcome these new members. You guys all brought your party hats and whistles, right? That's what we do every single time. Every time we have a new member, the party hats and whistles. No, there's, there's none of that. Let me pray. Father, as we move forward this summer and examine and look at who you want us to be, what your expectation is for the church, Lord, I'm excited that as I do this introductory, Lord, I can say that Concord Bible Church is not a dying church. It is alive. You are here. And there's a lot more going on in that list of who is the church than what's going on in the list of who isn't the church when it comes to Conquer Bible. But Father, we don't ever want to be content. We want to be about who You are and what You desire for us. So Lord, let us examine our lives. Let us look and see what kind of a bride we've been, so to speak. And who do we want to be and live accordingly and let your spirit shape us and mold us into the holy temple of God. To your glory, Father. Amen.